This morning, we're going to talk about one of those great characters. In fact, for the last three weeks, we've been studying about the life and the times of Elijah and Elisha. In order to introduce our lesson this morning, I want to begin by asking some questions about each of us and what we are facing in this life. Do you ever feel threatened by those who do not respect God? When I say that, I'm talking about people who are looking at those of us who embrace a worship of and a respect of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you ever feel threatened by those? Do you ever get discouraged by what is apparently a relentless attack on our faith? Many times, those of us who are Christians are mocked and belittled, and it is becoming more prevalent each and every day. It may be where you work. It may be where you go to school. It may be in your neighborhood, among your friends, that you find yourself sometimes asking the question, am I the only one who's trying to do right? Do you ever have that doubt and discouragement in your mind Am I really doing the right thing? Am I really accomplishing anything? Well, this is lesson number three. Elijah, doubt, discouraged, and depressed. And I hope this lesson doesn't depress you. I hope it's one that encourages you. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look, first of all, at verses 1 through 3 and see the doubt that he had. We're going to begin with verse 4, go through verse 14, and see the discouragement that came from that doubt. But then beginning with verse 15, going through verse 21, we'll talk about the directive that God gave Elijah to deal with that doubt and discouragement. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at verses 1 through 3. And there we read, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, as you begin to look at all this, really the contest continues. If you'll remember, last week we studied chapter 18. And if you'll remember, there was a question asked by Elijah in verse 21 of chapter 18. How long are you going to go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him, but if Baal, then serve him. And the people answered him not a word. There was a contest for the hearts and the minds of the children of Israel. But the contest continues. This time the contest is not between Israel, but this is between Jezebel and Elijah. Because if you'll remember back in chapter 18 and verse 4, we learn that it was so that while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. 
You see, in her mind, what we have to do, we have to take Israel and we have to wipe out all the worship and the service of God. On the other hand, you drop down to verse 40. After the contest on the Mount Carmel and after the prophets of Baal had been shown to be false prophets, we learn that Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So you have Jezebel on one side, you have Elijah on the other side, and there's a contest. And here's what the contest is. Who will prevail in courage? Who will trust their God or their gods more? And you know what the answer is? Jezebel trusted her gods more than Elijah trusted the real God. As you begin to think about that, what happens is Elijah flees. The Bible says he ran. He ran all the way from Mount Carmel all the way down to Beersheba. Now, when you're thinking about that, it may not sound like much. That's a hundred miles. From Beersheba, he's going to go also down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. If you look at it on a map from Carmel to Beersheba is a hundred miles. And then if you look at it further from Carmel to Beersheba is a hundred. From Beersheba all the way down to Mount Sinai is another two hundred. Three hundred miles. That's going to take a lot of work. I don't believe I want to walk that far. But that's how badly depressed and discouraged and doubting Elijah is. In fact, doubting is almost an inexplicable condition among God's people. Why do God's people doubt? For Elijah, has it not resonated in his mind that God has just answered by fire? Here you had 450 prophets of Baal surrounding an altar and they can't get their God to answer at all. On the other hand, Elijah has erected and repaired an altar and God sends down fire. It consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and even the water that was in the trench. Baal and Jezebel, who is his primary promoter, they don't have anything on God. But you see, that's not the only time that's occurred. You remember last Sunday evening when Brother Lonnie Jones was with us? How he discussed the children of Israel and the words of discouragement? And you go to Numbers chapter 13, verse 31, and after they had gone and spied out the land, the spies came back and said, The people, they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report in the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw it were men of great stature. He goes on to say that we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Could they not remember the parting of the Red Sea? Could they not remember the Lord drowning the army of the Egyptians? No. Why would they doubt? 
Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. The Lord had come walking on the water and Peter asked the Lord to bid him to come to him. Peter gets out of the boat. Peter starts walking on the water. But then he looks around and he sees the wind and the waves. He began to seek and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter saw Jesus standing on the water. Peter himself had walked on water. Why did he doubt? A little while later, you get to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus had told the apostles to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When the Lord said that, they immediately began to raise, you know, was he asking us to go get bread? Where are we going to get this bread? How are we going to do this? And the Lord's response to them is very interesting. He said, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? The Lord is looking at them and saying, don't you think Back at all that I've done, why do people doubt God? Well, that's an interesting discussion. Here's Elijah. Jezebel has threatened him, and here he runs. Now, what comes from that is a real discouragement. Look with me, verses 4 through 14. I know it's a long reading, but there are some really powerful points to be found within it. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent a night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, Kill the prophets, your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now the discouragement grew out of doubt. He doubted God and he ran. And now here he is, he is so discouraged, what does he do? He says, let me die. I am no better than my fathers, just let me die. I am a failure. I've not been able to turn the children of Israel around at all. God just let me die here. The truth is, when the person stands strong for the Lord, there's always some tough consequences that will follow. If you as a Christian stand up at your work, if you as a Christian stand up in your school, you know what's going to happen? People are going to persecute you. And when they do persecute you, It's going to be tough. Jeremiah chapter 20. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. You see, for Jeremiah, I would just soon die because of the condition that I'm having to face. But God provides for him a second time. He awakes under that broom tree and there is drink and there is food. And you remember God had provided for him earlier? God's going to provide for him not only the food to eat, not only the water to drink, but he's going to also provide for him some more training. You know, sometimes people will go out to do a job and they're not trained properly. They have to go back and be trained some more. Elijah needs a little bit more training. Arise and eat, he's told two times. That 40 days, I think it's very interesting. 40 days and 40 nights. Because it's reminiscent of Moses. You remember Moses describes in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 11 and verse 18. He said, it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Moses had waited 40 days on the top of that mountain to hear what God had to say. Why wait 40 days? There's some time you need to process what God's going to give you. Verse 18, and I fell down before the Lord as first, 40 days and 40 nights, I ate neither bread nor drank water, You see, he fasted all that 40 days as well. We learn that there's something here for Elijah to grasp. That parallels Jesus in the wilderness as well. You remember Matthew 4 and Luke's account in Luke chapter 4. 
and being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. You have Elijah on Mount Sinai now, listening for God. There's something to learn here on the mountain of God. And so the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's an important question. You've got to evaluate yourself. Here's what he thought going through his mind. God, you look and you see everything that's going on. They've forsaken your covenant. Israel has. They've torn down your altars. They're no longer worshiping you. They've killed your prophets with the sword. It's just me that's left. Nobody else is left. I'm fighting this battle alone and I've failed. And God calls with power. As I read this account, it's just amazing to think of that wind so strong that it's tearing the rocks apart. To think of that earthquake that shook that mountain. Oh, you think that 7.1 earthquake in California was something? Should have been on Mount Sinai. Then a fire. And when it happens, Elijah goes out And he's now going to hear the still, small voice of God. And you know what that still, small voice, almost to the whisper says, What are you doing here, Elijah? That's the voice of God. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeats the same thing. You know why? Because he can't see past himself. All he's thinking about is not Israel. Not God, not the altars, not the covenant. He's thinking about me. It's just me. It's just me left. And they want to take my life. But you see, God had and has a plan. In Elijah's mind, I didn't accomplish anything on top of Mount Carmel. You know, I thought I'd won the contest, but... Jezebel's still alive and she wants to take my life and things are not any better. You know sometimes in fighting against evil, we get discouraged, we get doubting because it appears I'm doing the very best that I can and God has not got this taken care of. That leads me to verses 15 through 21. God's directive. Ah, real interesting. Then the Lord said to him, Go, Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat and Abel-Meholah you shall appoint as prophet or anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat and was plowing with twelve oak of yachts. And he goes ahead and he anoints him and he follows him. Now, you think about this. Go return. I think about Jonah when God sent him to go to Nineveh and Jonah didn't want to go. And now God said, it's time for you to go, Jonah. The second thing he's saying to him is, I sent you, now I want you to go back again. Go return. It's time to get back to work, Elijah. Don't give up. Don't give in. God has a plan to deal with this Baal worship. The problem is you just didn't see the big picture. What what is the big picture, Lord? Well, the big picture, first of all, is I want you to anoint Haziel, king over Syria. Now, this is just amazing. Here is a prophet of God going to a foreign nation to anoint a new king there. But God's chosen Haziel. God works in the affairs of men. That's exactly what Paul preached in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He says of one blood God has determined, or he says of one one blood God made all men to dwell upon the face of this earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. God has all this worked out. Haziel, you're going to anoint his king over Syria. And then I want you to anoint Jehu as a king over Israel. And then I want you to anoint Elisha, prophet in your place. You, you're going to have a successor as well, Elijah. And then he says... I have reserved. Reserved means that God already had this planned out. I have set aside 7,000 men in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now for just a moment or two, let me pull some points out of this. Elijah wasn't thinking correctly. He was guided by his emotions. You know, sometimes I am too. Sometimes I get doubtful and discouraged. And I can let that affect my service. I'd say all of us are that way. We sometimes let our emotions rule when we ought to not let it rule. Emotions are good. Feelings are good but we ought to let our head rule rather than our hearts. What we know is good and what we know is right. The second thing that Elisha did that was a real bad problem was he isolated himself and he was only talking with himself. I think it's interesting if you're reading that when he runs, do you know what he does? He runs all the way to Beersheba, verse 3, and he leaves his servant there. He's not even got anybody to stand with him. What do we do sometimes when we get doubtful and we're discouraged? We run off by ourselves. We don't get any encouragement. We don't see what else is going on. Number three, Elijah forgot all that God had done. He had forgotten the, the fire coming down out of heaven. He had forgotten the provisions that God had given for him, both when he was in his homeland, and then when he went to the widow of Zarephath. 
You see, Elijah needed to be reminded God has this under control. Number four, Elijah forgot that when you leave the top of the mountain, you've got to go through the valley. He had been on Mount Carmel. But whenever you leave the top of the mountain, you're always going to go down. And when you go down, you're going to go through the valley. There are going to be times in our lives when you and I can feel good about something. But let me tell you, there's also going to be some tough days as well. There are going to be some lows when you and I feel discouraged and depressed and feel like we're the only ones. And God needs us to get up and do what we ought to do. You know what James 5.17 says? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Sometimes we see these great characters of the Bible as almost supermen and superwomen. Look at what they did. Look at their strength. Look at their power. Look at their courage. The Bible does not whitewash them of their sins, nor does the Bible deprive us of seeing their days of discouragement and doubt and failure. You know why? Because I go through those kind of days too. But what God is looking for is among us is not that we will not be discouraged and down, but that we get back up. Because God has work for us to do. This morning, I'd like to encourage you to become a faithful child of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8 verse 24 Hebrews 11 and verse 6, among many other passages, and you're willing to repent of your sins. That means you're willing to turn your heart and your mind away from evil and turn it toward God, just like the people were told on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 38. Confess your faith in Him, like the eunuch did in Acts 8 and verse 37. And then to be baptized. You know, that's not my doctrine. That's not this church's doctrine. That's biblical doctrine. We see in every case of conversion in the book of Acts, every one of them, the people being told to be baptized, the people being baptized, and the people enjoying the forgiveness of their sins. We love this morning to see a new brother, a new sister in Christ. I can't think of anything better as a way to end our worship service to have that happen. But you know, I also recognize that many times we're just like Elijah. We're just like every other biblical character. We make our mistakes, and when we do, God wants us to own up to them, to repent of them, And then to pray and ask His forgiveness. James 5 verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're going to sing the song. Jesus the loving shepherd calling you home. Will you respond as together we stand and sing?